You're listening to Inksteads, and my guest this week is Fiona Smith. Uh, her latest book is Somnambulist uh, from Koyama Press. Um, Fiona has been one of the staples of Canadian comics, uh, and this book is a great reflection of that collecting work from, I think, 1985. Is that the earliest work in there? That's right. All right. Going back to uh, college days. Yeah. Um, that must have been weird, revisiting that far back. Yeah, a little bit. Like to, I kind of had to make peace with um, some work that I might not want to include, but I figure it's all part of the journey, all part of the larger body of work. What do you mean by making peace? Is it a matter of content or quality or intent within the work? I think more about quality. Okay. Like how shaky my brush line is when I was first starting out compared to, you know, 30 years later. <laughs> and you were going to, was it OCAD you went to? Yes. And that's where you teach now, right? Yeah. So it was, it wasn't a university yet. It was Ontario College of Art. And then later it was Ontario College of Art and Design. And now it's Ontario College of Art and Design University or OCAD U. <laughs> Which is like, what? what's an OCAD? <laughs> um, that's funny because in Vancouver, our big art university didn't become a university till much later. Yeah. Uh, I forget what it used to be called. Now it's called Emily Carr, but it used to be like the Vancouver School of like Art and Design or something. Um, I forget. But now it's like this huge institution, but it took quite a while for it to actually be a university. Yeah. Um, so kind of maybe going right back then, um, going to OCAD um, at the time, what was your interest in art um, and kind of what would what did you want to do going to art school? Uh, I, I went there with the intent of, of being a painter and studying painting and uh I, you go through a foundation year and then you apply for a specific department and I tried for the experimental department and they rejected me. Um, and so I tried for uh, what was at the time called general studies, which meant you could kind of customize your program. Mm -hmm. uh, so I studied painting and experimental painting and uh, printmaking through that. At what point did kind of comics fear its head for you? Uh, comics, you know, my, my drawing was very cartoony. My painting was kind of cartoony. Uh, comics came through, I guess you would, you would say the, well, both the painting and the, the printmaking. Um, but I, I started doing comics for the school uh, newspaper called Fish Wrap. And, uh, then, like, actually making more, like, published comics came post. I mean, apart from the school paper, came later, mm -hmm. after college. Um, yeah. Were you aware of folks working in the same milieu, like, outside of Toronto at that point? Or were you kind of primarily... Uh... Not so much. I mean, I, 
You mean just the larger comics world or in Canada? I'm thinking more kind of the punk rock illustration world. Um, so I guess while, while I was in college, I was reading comics like um, Daredevil mm-hmm. and uh, like Frank Miller and Bill Sinkovitz. Is that how you pronounce his name? Sinkevich. Sinkevich. Yeah. And uh, my friend Maurice Falacoop, who, of course, is an amazing cartoonist and illustrator, mm-hmm. um, in, introduced me to Raw Magazine. So then I was seeing seeing Raw and all the artists associated with Raw. And, uh, and Mark Asquith, the TV producer, was working at Silver Snail at the time, and he uh, introduced me to Love and Rockets and Dan Close. Um, and then on my own, I found Chester Brown's self-published Yummy Furs. Okay. So I knew. So that was all the stuff I was looking at. And then seeing uh, Chester's work made me uh, investigate more underground stuff and like the history of stuff, like looking at our crumb. Um, yeah. I was just one of the reasons I was asking. I was just thinking of like. Um, kind of West Coast contemporaries like I Brain Eater and stuff and kind of I see like some similar maybe aesthetics not content but uh, and I'm just wondering if there was any kind of look at that kind of range of work or if that kind of bled over because I haven't really talked to folks much about that scene within that time Um, so I'm just interested was there much crossover or is it kind of like a very East-West divide thing yeah, I would have seen him as a contemporary, and I wouldn't have um, been super familiar with his work. But um, I mean, you know, like the he wouldn't have been an influence, is what I'm trying to say. He would have been somebody that was like, oh yeah, there's like there's I Brain Eater out there, there's Fiona Smith over oh, yeah, in yeah. Toronto, there's other other folks like in each city, yeah, um, who's doing stuff that was. Yeah, like punky, cartoony, um, sometimes considered graffiti. Um, Because my my big hero is Keith Haring, and that's who I was really looking at and being inspired by. And obviously, when you look at that that early work, and even my current work, sometimes totally has a Haring flavor to it. And, uh, you know, as a young artist, I would have... not been psyched about being compared to somebody else, but, um, <laughs> you know, now I'm like, well, yeah. <laughs> and he was so amazing and inspirational and, uh, in so many ways, like not just stylistically, but content wise and how, uh, his work was performative and how, um, how fast he worked. Yeah. So the, the Lower East Side artists that, that worked with such, uh, such a speed and efficiency and uh, with messages and that, that was all very inspirational. There's that like necessity to have that work done and get that out yep. that rush, which is yeah. so political and important in a way. Yeah. yeah. And, and not being so precious with it and working like, 
when I say speed, I mean like working on murals that are just, uh, they're not projected or uh, with uh, underdrawings or, or there's no underdrawing uh, put on the wall before the painting happened. Like you just, you just attack. Yeah. That immediacy. Yeah. Um, was that kind of all veering at the same time while reading these comics and looking at like Lower East Side, New York? artwork and kind of melting in your brain yes and 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 seeing some uh uh toronto-based um collectives like um chroma living and uh a big show that they had and they actually put out a, a publication called chroma laughing that had comics in it um and um a smaller not so well-known collective of i think they were ocad grads at the time who showed at the OCAT or well, the OCA gallery at the time called gallery 76 called Barramundos who created this uh, show of um, where they, they painted three rooms worth of ins like installation walk through environments. And I, if I remember correctly, there was like a desert an underwater and a jungle room or a forest room. Um, and they painted the walls and they created sculptures that sat within these environments so those were all very influential things to me neat was it a very exciting time in toronto at that point in like the mid 80s and kind of a sounds like there's a vibrancy to art folks were making at the time for sure on on queen street and uh one um kind of spot that joined everybody together was the cameron house uh, on Queen Street, just west of of Spadina, um, where artists would collect and get drunk. <laughs> um, with kind of veering and doing comics, um, and I'm just thinking of like that, like idea of like uh, we're talking about, like getting the work out there and seeing uh, and engage. Is was that kind of one of the things for you? Is like that idea of just like. Um, having different avenues for it to get out to? Uh, for sure. And I, I mean, that, that grows out of the Lower East Side thing too, right? Yeah. I, I, like, um, I was hooked up with a gallery that, that was, um, their home base was in Yorkville, but they curated shows on the, on Queen Street at these two restaurants called the Rivoli and the Queen Mother, which are still around. And uh, a punk hair salon in Rosedale called the Rainbow Room. In so Rosedale. there was four, yeah, and so there were four um, venues to to show my paintings in, and so I was showing tons, um, and I was I wore painted jean jackets and had bright pink hair for a time, uh, so you couldn't miss me, and so I was painting. Um, clothes for other people, running shoes, t-shirts, um, and making posters for, for my show. So those would be on the streets and sometimes for bands, um, and designing t-shirts for some, some folks. So yeah, the work was out there. And, and then I was making mini, mini zines or, you know, mini comics, they were called at the time to go with the art shows. Mm -hmm. because I, I, you know, had seen Yummy Fur and that 
that kickstarted the idea that I could print my own stuff. And when I had a show, it was an accessible and affordable thing that people could walk away with compared to a hundred dollar, you know, $300 painting. They could buy a dollar fifty zine. And would that be kind of separate work from what you're showing in the art show? Uh, it would be uh, related to the theme of the show, if not even called the same name as the show. So one of my first shows was called Whorehouse. I made a zine called Whorehouse, and there's some of those um, drawings in Somnambulance. Okay. Now, one of the things I find with your work is um, the importance of iconography and symbols and then I was reading in the book, uh, you, all, you went to Catholic school, and I'm wondering how that kind of, if that's like one of the things that seeped through is like, especially with Catholicism, is like, it is icono you know, iconographic. Um, not that your work is like focused on that type of imagery, but just the use of imagery. If I'm yeah. making sense. Does that make sense? Oh, yeah. And, and when I was an emerging artist, I did a lot of stuff around catholic imagery but turning it on his head so like making um you know not christ on the cross but cupid dolls on crosses and sexy madonnas and i don't mean the singer i mean like madonna and child but without the child and um it was a period of time of like exercising my my catholic upbringing mm -hmm. and and so i was very familiar with uh, you know, Stations of the Cross, stare, staring at those when I was trying not to fall asleep in, in Mass on Sundays and uh, staring at the altar art and Christ on the Cross and stained glass windows. It was like permeated my brain. And then uh, um, trying to exercise that later, like, um, and then at some point getting interested in um, Hindu uh, imagery and Buddhist imagery and, and feeling like, uh, just doing Catholic imagery is sort of boring and too Western and too, uh, expected. Yeah. Uh, and then I kind of started doing a mashup of everything new beyond that, that I was, I was seeing, but for sure the Catholicism is still, still in there. And, uh, so maybe like compared to Herring with his radiated baby um, or uh, yeah, the radiated baby, right. It's like my, my rays are more like halos. <laughs> That's where they, they come from. Is it a, is what you're doing kind of iconoclastic in a way? Um, um, like when you're mixing in, cause you, you did one little short strip at the end, which I really like where you talked about like kind of the power of doing like radical feminist artwork. Um, so oh, like, yeah. like how that kind of pushes against what you had been like forced to look at growing up and kind of the power in that I'm interested in. Yeah. It was like turning that repressive misogynist um, church, churchy stuff into um, feminist empowered uh, images of women with agency and, um, yeah, making, 
turning turning it into my own religion too. Yeah. Yeah. Um, how do you mean that? It's kind of well, uh, like making my own stories, my own images, my own symbols. Um, yeah, turning it into my own language. Okay. I guess. Yeah. I was putting crosses uh, or X's on hands to represent uh, stigmata. And uh, a lot of folks thought that that was related to um, straight edge. But it was <laughs> <laughs> that's pretty stigmata. Uh, oh, and by the way, you know that, that, that comic that you just mentioned, which is like the third part of this comic called Plus, which mm-hmm. was a new strip that I did for, for the book. Um, the the last scene, I'm at a fifth column concert, and I'm wearing a T-shirt in the the picture, the panel, and it says um, FTW on it, and I have my hand uprise like in victory. And um, in today's texting world, people think that means for the win, which kind of applies, but it meant fuck the world. <laughs> so I just wanted to get that out there. Just so folks know. Yeah. The the proper intent. Yeah. <laughs> it still it. works with for the win, but that's not what I meant. <laughs> well, the win for you is something very specific. Yeah. <laughs> so as you kind of, I'm really interested in kind of how the comics work kind of grew um, versus, or like kind of in comparison with your, with your painted work. Um, were you kind of doing something different with them, like expanding more in different ways with the comics where with the singular images kind of more focusing on the iconography? Um, yeah, for sure. And, and usually if I was doing a series of paintings, there would be some kind of a theme, but each painting would have a standalone, uh, meaning to it or or they could they could stand alone i didn't think of them as panels yeah um so there is usually a narrative within i mean within the single images but but more linear in the comics or it was a collection of drawings that that related to each other so if you thought of something more like a uh, Raymond Pettibon, like a collect collection of images that related to each other very loosely. Um, and of course there's some that are like totally kind of anti-narrative, um, just strung together drawings. Now your main comics that I remember, uh, the Nocturnal Emission series, um, and I'm interested how that came about and kind of jumping into doing like a fuller, longer story where in the past it looks like you've just done shorter stuff and uh, mini comics and then you did the you're part of that starhead comic with dame darcy and ellen forney was that before nocturnal emissions um that would have been uh around the same time okay that would have, that would have happened because i was out there with nocturnal emissions okay so so i i had made a name for myself as a painter in toronto and a little bit beyond Toronto. Um, and uh, uh, Bill Marks, his wife at the time, Deb Marks, had bought uh, some of my paintings. And, of course, I knew um, Seth 
from on the team, but I kind of knew him before that during the punk rock, um, going to, to clubs. The white haired Seth. Yes. Yes. Um, I even knew him when he had black hair and a dog collar. Um, (laughs) but, but we weren't like super close buddies. It was like, he was, he, he ended up going out with, uh, this woman, Mary Bellevue, who is one of my sister's best friends. So we're often socially in, in the same spaces. And, uh, and actually my, both my sisters appear in Palookaville one. Oh, funny. Um, but I kind of went on a tangent there. So, so I, I sort of knew Vortex comics and of course, Bill had, had bought some of my paintings, uh, with his wife, Deb. Uh, and I, uh, I guess I'd been making mini comics. They would have been aware of, of those. He would have seen those. And uh, at some party we were chatting and he said, have you thought about doing a longer comic? Um, would you be interested in doing that? And I was like, uh, hell yeah. Okay. And then um, I started doing them. So there were four issues which appear in Sun Ambulance. And there was a fifth one that was never um, published and uh, so that's included in there too. And then you also include a kind of a coda to that story or to those stories. Yeah. And I'm interested about that, like kind of first, the you know, the, the work in October was very surreal and odd um, and delightful um, weirdo comic stories. Um and then kind of how you just bring it all together to this like kind of straightforward ending in a way. Yeah. I guess I was like, they, they, there was never a conclusion. There was never closure to those, those stories. And I, I guess I felt some uh, responsibility to, to wrap it up, but, but not so responsible that I wanted to do a super in-depth story. So I'm kind of crossing, um, the reality of an artist and you know, the, the history of what happened in those, those comics and melding it together in a very simple and direct way to, to kind of bring all the characters back together, but more like a TV show (laughs) (laughs) than than the, the worlds that they inhabited earlier. Mm -hmm. I mean, there's reference to those worlds, but it's, it's, yeah, it's, um, and closer to where my head's at right now. And, and, and I wanted, maybe I wanted to see them as real people and not like that toad wasn't just this, um, acid burnout, uh, uh, dreamy, not, not so real person, but that he was. And then, you know, was he the character? he, he worked, you know, he was on tour with Motorhead and, you know, how, how would that work out? Which one was the story of the, the fellow that was searching for the floating bust, was it? A boob. A boob. A, a so that, that's Toad, Toad in the Hole. But then there's other characters. There's Sid. And, and so there was the, the story of, of Toad and Sid in the land of wet dreams and then there was another story of uh the skin of fate yeah and and, um roach 
And but by the end of the comics, I, I had made those two stories crossover and, and the, connect. The skin of fate that was the one about the back tattoo, right? Yeah. And yeah. It, those two in particular, I want I want to talk a bit about um, because your work is really physical, um, and the back tattoo especially. Uh, there was something I was really getting out of it from this idea of like that kind of like beyond body or like body isn't someone's part of them anymore. And I was really interested in that. And maybe I was reading way too much into that for my own sense, but it, it definitely seemed like relevant as far as like when is someone someone's and when do like other people take ownership and stuff. Yeah. No, that's cool that you picked up on that because I'm I I haven't really thought about it that in depth and uh, I mean that relates to all kind of the larger body work, pardon the pun, and and um, the focus on on body and the meaning of it and experience and and memory within body and and you know a tattoo is you're you're showing the experience of your life right on your skin but then what is it when it's separated from your body or your body's dead um yeah what i don't it? know where i'm going with that <laughs> well it's to me it's it i mean there's so much about your work which is um i don't want to use the term voyeuristic because that that misconstrues what i'm trying to say but it is about looking at bodies and kind of like bodies are being looked at and and that's i think what i really got about that piece was like it really like there's that obviousness uh for it with it to me i'm not using the right words um yeah and the, the characters within the story it's like the the um roach and pussies drug dealer somehow procured this right from somebody who owed them money and and they're showing it as this like tchotchke thing that they're you know, yeah, it's just another thing that they own. And then pussy is like, this belongs with the person that it was taken from and she steals it. Um, so you see this tenderness and this empathy uh, through her in relation to this disembodied bit of flesh. It, it makes me think of like, that just kind of popped into my head is like we all kind of knew someone back in the day who like would have a human skull or something like human bones um not that you may have but i knew folks uh and just yeah. kind of that weirdness of like owning parts of someone's existence um yeah and i don't know there's an uneasiness maybe that's what i'm saying yeah and I, I think I might have thought of, you know, if, if the story had been, you know, if I'd gone on with with um, nocturnal emissions for like 30 or 50 issues, like the Skin of Fate was going to be kind of a portal to to another world. Not the wet dream world, but another, like whatever was portrayed on the skin, like sort of like Clive Barker um, weirdness. I love it. Yeah. Um, now, dreams, somnambulists, 
about um, nocturnal emissions. Um, you have several comics in there that are about dreams. Um, the dreams still feature as an important part of kind of your process. Um, has it always been kind of something featured for you? Um, yeah, but maybe now, maybe not so much about what I actually dream about, but just about dreamy states or um, dissociation, being here and not not here, and um, yeah, because I I've always had vivid dreams. I just don't remember them as well as I used to mm-hmm. uh, when I was younger. And uh, oh, and yeah, the last comic in the book is referencing all actual dreams I've had. But I strung them together as if it was one one dream. Okay. Um, so it's it's important, but it's not as um, they're not informing what I do so much. I'm choosing that more consciously. Did you kind of let it take over in the past? Uh. It, it just would, I don't know. Or was it just like a source, a great source for unreal material? Yeah, and, and to, to leave myself open to let things um, kind of create their own story, narrative, or image. Like, just let things grow on their own. Mm-hmm. Go, go along for the ride. So when I was younger, I would I would say that I was channeling from wherever, um, that it, it was almost like automatic drawing, automatic writing. But um, after many years of therapy, I know it's my own self that I'm channeling. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, yeah, and you know, thinking about life, life is a dream, and what's what's real. All that stuff. Um, your comics definitely do live in an unreal world. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe that's the joy in it. The yeah. The the lack of grounding. Is that right? Um, yeah. How yeah. did you get connected with um, Dame Darcy and Ellen Forney? Because they're not. Toronto folks and Starhead, I think, was in Seattle at that point. So I, you know, I can't, I can't remember. It might have been Ellen Forney that that joined us all together. Um, Ellen might have a better memory of of how how it went down. <laughs> um, I really can't, I can't remember. But yeah, I su- I suspect, uh, yeah. Did you do work for that comic, kind of conscious of what the other folks were doing, or is it just kind of a chance to do some stuff with some other women and stuff? Yeah, I I knew their work, but yeah, it was it was like a chance to showcase what I was doing, which was different than what they were doing, and um, and especially to do a long story. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's on, I think it's twenty pages. Yeah, that's. Um, a- which is great. That's a bigger comic 
the the yeah. actual comic itself. Like I can't remember. It's been a while since I looked at my hard copy somewhere yeah. in a box. Now the yeah. one of the other things you've been doing is you uh, have been working on a series of kids books um, talking about, I guess, sex and sex education. Yes. Uh, and tell me about how that came about and kind of what was the intent with that? Well, the the writer and sex educator, Corey Silverberg, uh, used to be um, um, one of the um, co-op owners of uh, Come As You Are, a sex shop here in Toronto. I think one of the founders of it, oh, wow. too. And um, so over the years, uh, he was commission- commissioning me to do artwork for the store uh, in relation to their, their website. And I showed there a couple of times too, um, because they would have art shows on the walls in the, the store. And somewhere along the way, he's like, uh, we should be friends. <laughs> I was like, okay. Uh, and which is pretty great that he like initiated. It's like, you know what? We should hang out. Um, so, so we knew, I mean, we wouldn't hang out that, that often, but we would occasionally get together and chat and have lunch. And, um, so many years later he was working on this kid's book and he said, I'm, I would really, I would love for you to be the illustrator of this book. Um, it's about how babies are made. And as soon as he said babies, I was like, babies are so <laughs> hard to draw. They're just lumps. Yeah, they're just like, you look at the history, well, Western art history of um, uh, paintings of babies. They're pretty horrific and look like little mini adults. So I was like, uh, I don't know if I'm the one for you to do this. And uh, I was like suggesting other illustrator cartoonist folks that, that would be a good fit or I thought would be a good fit. So anyway, he went away and, and worked some, some more refining the book and, and actually um, created some drawings uh, with his wife, Zoe, um, to accompany the, the text and, uh, and came back to me and said, look, I, I really want you to, to be part of this. And by that time i had worked on um i had completed the neverwares the graphic novel that i did for kids um ages eight to ten and for some reason after working on on that i felt the confidence to it was like well you know what you just did a graphic novel i think you can handle uh figuring out how to to draw babies and and also the the project was so great i mean his um this is what makes a baby such a um, groundbreaking book and ne- necessary book um, in today's world and today's families. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, so then so then we started up and it was a Kickstarter funded campaign, which um, we were looking for ninety five hundred dollars and made sixty five thousand dollars. Jesus. Yeah, and then after it came out, uh, Seven Stories Press signed on to to re-release it and for two more books in the series. Wow. Yeah. 
Um, and there's been uh, accolade for, for both books and uh, yeah, really great response. And again, such, such necessary books. What's the subject for the other two? Um, well, what makes a baby is, is picture book and sex is a funny word is like for uh, slightly older kids, like um, six to, to eight to 10 ish. And the, so the third book is going to be um, for pubescent kids. So like 10 to 14 ish. Okay. Yeah. There's something neat about how that fits in with your personal work um that kind of talk about sex and sexuality um do you kind of see that as a natural fit um kind of continuing it in a different way yeah for sure um and um although you know like like i knew my stuff was erotic and sexual like especially when I was coming out of the gate as, as a 20 something emerging artist, but seeing it all collected in the somnambulance, it was like, Holy shit. It's so sexual. Because <laughs> <laughs> um, I would say like in, in more recent years, it's gotten, gone more horror body horror, <laughs> but, but uh, yeah, no, it, it totally makes sense doing these kids books. And I, I was, um, answering a um an interview the other day and writing how um and and i've been telling this story for years and i tell my students this too sometimes that uh once i started doing commercial work um like illustration and sometimes for advertising art director art directors would often say to me we we really love your work but please do not include flaming vaginas or erect penises and now I'm drawing. I'm drawing those for kids. I mean, the vaginas aren't flaming, but uh, give it yeah, time. The irony of that. Wait till you do a book about STDs. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think one of your early you had the characters Jugs and Dick. Uh, I think that was one of your earlier comic strip characters. Yes. And I kind of loved the name to them. Yeah. Uh, yeah, Jugs the Jugs the Milkman and uh Dick the Detective, I think is their the full title and and there was also Manhole and Boob Tube. <laughs> yeah. I feel like you have a lot of fun doing your work. Yeah, for sure. Um Although it's, it's, there's more torturous, um, themes in, in my personal work in recent years, so much so that when I was answering this, this, um, interview that I just mentioned, my, I got my partner to proofread it, Craig Daniels. And he was like, there, you know, you, you're kind of misrepresenting the book. It sounds so dire and serious. Like it's, there's a lot of humor in there and joy it's like but uh so i kind of went back and reread what i wrote and i don't i don't know i just went so, so negative but um yeah there's there's yeah hopefully a lot of humor and, and joy and empowerment and uh within these pages 
that's in my art. I find I do I find your work to be quite empowering, and it it's um, there's something exciting to me, especially like, um, you know, the joy or no joy or just like when we talk about being able to just make this kind of radical feminist work, uh, and kind of thinking of like the constraints of of what you may have been growing up with, um, yeah, and there's no filters in the book. Yeah. And to me, like, especially in coming out of the 80s and stuff, like, how important that is to, like, really be um, raw and open and just kind of let the work speak for itself in a way. Yeah. And, you know, as a younger artist, it was my alter ego. I could, I could live through it and be in your face. And people would often meet me and say, you're not, you're not like your artwork. Um, and now they're saying it for other reasons. They see my work and they're like, oh, I thought you were going to be like this punk rocker with pink hair. It's like, yeah, I, I was, but <laughs> <laughs> like, you know, 30 years later now, <laughs> the pink dye adds up over time. You know, you can't keep yeah. doing it. Um, no, you're going to be a guest at SPX in yes. the fall, September 15th and 16th in charming Bethesda, Maryland. Um, yes. There's some really good. Oh, um, I can't remember what type of food there's. There's there's some good food around there. I uh, recommend. Um, and then you were mentioning before we started, you're going to have a short animation or part of an animation that's going to be at Fantasia uh, in Montreal, the big festival there. Yeah, it's called uh, Albatross Soup, and I created illustrations to be used. Well, turned into animation. So I feel, you know, I was, I was part of the process, but the uh, animator, uh, General Massa, is so amazing. What he, how he transformed them is like so beyond what, what I initially drew. Mm-hmm. It's pretty, uh, pretty great. What kind of, what's the general kind of gist of the work of the cartoon? It's, um, uh, it's this like, uh, a question is, or sorry, a story is posed, and then uh, an audience that you hear the, this audience of voices um, uh, ask this godly-like uh, voice um, questions, and they get yes and no answers, and they have to figure out the the riddle of why why this uh, a man walked uh, got off a boat, walked into a restaurant, ordered albatross soup, had a taste of it, and kills himself up in the head so that the, the whole of the animation is trying to figure out this mystery neat yeah are you, are you going to be able to make it to the to the festival yes yeah yeah me and craig um are being um put up in a hotel and we're gonna see winnie um the director will be there and yeah it's gonna be great and Montreal's always fun to travel to in the summer. Yeah. Super, super hot. <laughs> yeah. But it's the same in Toronto, right? Or is it worse yeah. in Montreal? Yeah, right. You know what? Uh, it's probably comparable these days. Yeah. I was in Montreal last fall, and I was, n- being a Vancouver boy, I was not um, prepared for it, and they were going through a heat wave. Ah. Uh, yeah. I like mm-hmm. my, my mellow temperature. 
adventures. Um, I should mention, uh, being a Vancouver boy, is um, the first time I had come across your work um, as a teenager was probably uh, a sticker for the band Cub. Nice. And I still have that sticker. Yeah. So um, it's it's neat to see kind of young little indie music kid um, in seeing your work and engaging it in different ways and. Yeah, that's great to hear. I, um, uh, a couple of years ago, I was in Chicago and met, um, Ivan Bernetti and he said he had a cub patch. (gasps) He had his his jean jacket for a long time. I was like, oh, that's so great. (laughs) I love that. The idea of Ivan being into cub. For folks that don't know, the genre that cub was known for was called cuddlecore. Um, (laughs) and it was jangly. Uh, pop music and uh, I think at one point one of the members even owned a candy store on Main Street in Vancouver so that's uh, that's how sweet it is yeah (laughs) well thank you for taking the time to join me today Fiona Um, thank you Robin it's great to be on Inksteads after listening for a while I appreciate it. Um, reminder, the new book is... Oh, I can't even pronounce it properly. So Nomulence uh, from Koyama Press. Uh, it's really amazing. And it's kind of one of the things I really um, am enjoying right now is really full collections of, of a creator's work that kind of um, captures all these bits and pieces that are kind of hard to come by and bring it all together. So I really... Uh, excited by this book it's really amazing to see it out um so thank you koyama and thank oh, you and fiona can i can i give a shout out to to annie koyama of course <laughs> because this book would not exist without her so i'm forever indebted to her for for uh publishing this big book of comics thank you annie and thank you fiona <laughs> thank you <laughs> Looking at my guilty in sexy time